Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, a show dedicated to help you win at work, love, and life. Now, we know here at the Art of Charm that you have what it takes to reach your full potential. And that's why Johnny and I are here every single week to support you by sharing interviews and strategies to help you develop the right social skills and mindsets to succeed. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. If you love this show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a quick review on iTunes. Ready to make 2021 your best year yet? Join our X-Factor Accelerator Mentorship Program and Master Relationships. Don't just take our word for it. Before working with you guys in the X-Factor Accelerator, I was struggling with a lack of self-confidence. I wouldn't call it a failure, but a hesitation to communicate and just basic lack of knowledge regarding listening. What the X Factor has done is help me realize these issues which I've been facing and improve on them. The one thing I enjoy the most about the X Factor Accelerator is that it's so interactive and so personal. I not only get feedback for the various wins over the week or the various issues I'm facing, but I also get a personal note from another human being. It's not like reading a book. Another person is helping me realize that I can do much better. Regarding wins with respect to the dating life, before I struggled with self-confidence issues, with just general self-doubt, and now it's shattered. I look forward to more holistic approaches to my goals with regard to not just a certain area of my life, but rounding off my life as a whole. The X Factor Accelerator is the most definitive way to get the best version of yourself. The one way I could define that the better of me today is better than the me of yesterday. I value the teaching, the course, the the feedback I get for all my wins, my successes, and my issues. And yeah, without it, I don't think I would be at this level at all. Get the accountability, support, and skills you need to build better habits, grow your social skills, and unlock your X Factor to make 2021 your best year ever. Apply today at unlockyourxfactor.com. Join our exclusive group of top performers and get mentored every single week by the Art of Charm team, including myself and AJ. That's right. Monthly implementation sessions to go deep on storytelling, banter, growing your network, overcoming imposter syndrome, and more. You could build an amazing network of Art of Charm listeners and finally reach your full potential. Unlock your Unlockyourxfactor.com. Now, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Let's kick off today's Toolbox episode. That's right. It's Toolbox time. Today, we're bringing our head coach, Michael, on board, and we're going to talk about why maintaining a solid romantic relationship can be tough. And we'll give you four strategies to deepen your connection with your partner. Welcome back to the show, Michael. We're so excited to kick things off. For many of us, you know, we've been sold this idea that there are these perfect people, perfect matches for us walking around. And if you find them, everything will just fall into place and and it'll be a great relationship with minimal to no effort. And if there is any effort, then you're in the wrong relationship. And I think that myth really needs to be dispelled. And I think the big part of it for me around this whole thing is just how important communication really is and how we view our own communication versus how we show up in our relationship with that communication and, and, and being 
able to have someone in your life who can point out these things and can work together to strengthen your communication. That, that's the view that I have. And I, through a series of failed romantic relationships, have learned a lot about my behavior patterns around managing stress and communicating and conflict. So I have been excited to discuss this in this toolbox format because it's something that I've realized a lot about myself and the way that I viewed romantic relationships when we started the company over 10 plus years ago, the myths that I brought into my relationships. And sometimes the success and lack of success I've had in this area has certainly colored my view on communication and having happy, healthy, romantic relationships in my life. To kick things off, I definitely want to talk about some of those myths that I know that I bought into and many of our listeners have probably bought into as well around finding that partner and finding someone in your life to share a romantic relationship with. Now, if you've been a fan of this show for the last decade plus, you know when we started it, we were younger, very focused on dating success and, and being the most attractive version of ourselves and having plenty of options. And that's probably why many of you found the show back in the day. And as I've grown as a person, and of course, as our clients have come to work with us, for the most part, everyone's come in with this mindset of how can I have a healthy romantic relationship by not being someone I'm not, being fake. And I think one of the biggest myths that we hear time and time again is that there's this perfect partner for us. And that once you find that person, everything just falls into place. It's no work. There's no conflict. There's no drama. Naturally, all of your passions and pursuits align and it's just happiness. And as I've come to realize in my own career and life that that's not the case. Romantic relationships are like any relationship in your life. And there's going to be growth, there's going to be change, and there's going to be a whole lot of communication that we want to talk about. So in preparation for this, we wanted to first just kick off by talking about some of these myths. And I know, Michael, you have some opinions as well around the myths when it comes to romantic relationships. This is always so so funny to see in core confidence when we have like 10 guys and gals come together and, and talk about what they want to achieve. And very often you see this pattern where, you know, I, I want a partner and once I'm, you know, successful in dating and I have someone I love and spent my life together, then everything is easy. And then the next person introduces him or herself and is like, yeah, I'm in a relationship and I'm struggling. And the other person is like, what? I, I thought it's downhill from then on out, right? So dispelling this myth that we all seem to have, and we can go into why that is the case, that once I have a partner where there's butterflies and these pink glasses and that person is just perfect, then, then I'm made, right? Then it's, then it's downhill. Then I can chill out. Then I can be happy for the rest of my life. And what people will very often realize then is, well, now you have a partner and that's really good and healthy, but now you're playing a different game with different challenges where you need like new things that you need to pay attention to. And it's not necessarily easy. And now, instead of working on a challenge by your own, you work on that challenge with your partner together. So you have even more moving parts in there than before. And the first couple of months were, were amazing. So how come this suddenly becomes difficult? We see it in Hollywood, right? We see it in movies. That's probably the easiest one. The guy gets the girl and they live happily ever after and blah, blah, blah. If you believe that myth, and it's, isn't it pretty? Isn't it great? Yeah. Wouldn't everything be so much better if that's the way the world worked? Well, sure. But what happens when reality doesn't match up with what we've been bought and sold? Well, that has an impact on our own well-being. Not only does it have an impact on our own well-being, it has an impact on how we go into relationships. If we've been bought and sold a bill of goods that isn't reality, well then, what is the behaviors that we go into the next relationship with that protect ourselves that then now hinder our relationships from blossoming. Absolutely. And I think a big part of this is that life is challenging. And those challenges come into your relationship, especially your romantic relationship. One of the big myths around lust and romance and getting really emotionally connected with someone in the beginning is you have this burst of vulnerability, you have this burst of great chemicals. And that honeymoon phase, as we like to call it, well, it wears off. 
And the science, I don't think, is really clear on what that period is for each and every individual, but we've all been in those situations where it's red hot in the beginning and it's, it's new, it's exciting, we're learning about this person, they're opening up to us, and then there's a little bit less of that and a little bit less of that. And, and if you get caught up in these Hollywood myths or these romance novels or what your parents shared with you about relationships, well, it's easy to feel like I'm doing something wrong. And with a plethora of options, it's easier to feel like, well, that perfect person is just the other side of this relationship. So maybe I should give up. Well, AJ, the word that you're describing is one that we've brought on the show before, and it's called limerence. And limerence is the mental state of profound romantic infatuation. It was defined in the 1970s by psychologist Dorothy Tenov. And to come back to this idea of where certain myths are perpetuated, we just discussed this in our X Factor program with some of the guys over this idea of online dating. And online dating want you to use their app. They want you to be in constant chase of the perfect match. They're going to perpetuate the idea of the perfect romantic relationship because that keeps you chasing for it. They're even going to tell you that limerence is the feeling of being in love and that when that dries up, that the relationship has dried up. Now, what we're going to be discussing on this show is that why that's not the end of the ride. That's just the end of that part of the ride. And then a better relationship comes on if you have the tools to be able to cultivate that, which we're going to be doing today. But once again, not only do we have all these dating apps and how many are there now? I can't even keep track. And we've been a company that has tried to stay on top of that for as long as possible. It is just too out of control at this point. I don't even know how many. Look at the names. Tinder. What does Tinder do? Light a fire. Yeah. Right. We think of a burning hot flame. Okay, Cupid. Oh, my angel's fallen from the sky. Match. It's the perfect match based on the algorithm. So even their names proliferate this myth that the perfect person is just around the corner if I search hard enough. Exactly. They don't say, hey, AJ, you got to change. Hey, Johnny, in, in order for you to find Cupid, you got to reach your full potential. They're trying to get you to buy into a reality that the perfect match is out there if you just find it. And they're trying to get you to buy into a reality, which we discussed yesterday, which was called Swipe Life, which is you're going to find your perfect match and then you have infinite amount of opportunity to go dating and taste the uh, all the flavors of the rainbow until you find the perfect person. And don't worry about it because swipe life is fun. We have two factors here working against us as, as humans, as homo sapiens. And we need to give ourselves some slack for that. The first thing we're battling is that we are the first generation to deal with this. We're the first generation that can take out the phone, start swiping and find someone air quotes better, right? Our parents didn't deal with that. Our grandparents didn't deal with that. We can't go and go like, hey, grandma, can I get some advice? Because for her, it was like, yeah, dude, like there were three men in my village. You know, I, I picked one and I made it work, right? And here you are, I don't know, 20, 25 years old. Well, there's Tinder. Let me swipe again, right? And the second reason that ties into that is just our biology and how our hormone system developed to like make all of that stuff like kick in and the, the butterflies and the, the pink glasses. And we're going uphill here. We're going you know, against the stream and we need to consciously work on that and be aware of that and give ourselves some slack. Like this is difficult. And we have very few people we can turn to, to ask for advice. And that might be the biggest myth that we need to dispel here in this toolbox episode, because here's what happens when you look at couples getting married. So this is when you can tell they really take their relationship very, very serious, right? They know, they know that statistically 50% of marriages fail. They know this. They put rings on each other's finger and they know it's a 50-50. And every single couple says, 
we will make this work because we love each other. Love will get us through. The thing, however, is that it's not about love, like making a relationship work in the long term and create meaning and, and teamwork. It's not about love. It's about having the right skills to make it work. And such a big part of that is communication and the way that we have been taught communication in relationships, certainly romantic, tends to be from our experience of our parents and the way that they communicated in their relationship. And I know for me, growing up in a divorced household, raised by a single father who got divorced in the 80s, I did not have a very good role model to base that communication off of. And in fact, a lot of the patterns in my life have been around withdrawing because my father did just that. When his relationship failed, he withdrew from future relationships. Why? Because his pattern was withdrawing from conflict. It was easier to be quiet. It was easier to pull away. And it's taken me years to realize that pattern in myself through the relationships and the way that I was showing up or not showing up and the way that I was struggling to communicate through conflict. Yeah, same here. My parents got divorced when I was three years old. I never had like role models in terms of communication. And even, even now with my mom and my stepdad, like they're probably not listening to the show, so I can say this, but communication is not always ideal. And I'm always like shaking my head. I'm like, whoa, you know, I, I need to go a different route here because I don't think this is, you know, I would, I would enjoy that too much. So it's difficult to have like really good role models and, and learn like from scratch. How do you do this? We can create amazing, long-lasting, loving relationships if we just understand and are exposed to great tools. Because no matter how much you love each other, and a lot of people think there's this idea of love will conquer all. I think that's another myth as well. And Michael mentioned it earlier, but I want to hit home the point that it is, yes, love is great. Love is a great motivator for you to learn the correct tools so that you can create amazing, open, and flourishing relationships. And what we're talking about is let's take some agency and some responsibility for ourselves, and let's develop the right tools as we improve and reach our potential to have that amazing, fulfilling relationship that Hollywood has sold us. Because it doesn't have to be a dream, and it doesn't have to be a myth if we actually use science to our advantage. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And the first thing that I know we've talked a lot about on the show in the past, and we're not going to go that deeply into it on this episode, but we're huge fans of, is emotional bids and recognizing when your partner is trying to connect with you. Being someone who had never heard of that term before, wasn't really clear on what they were, that was pretty eye-opening for me in my communication. So we highly recommend you check out episodes 719 and 720 of this podcast a few years ago. We went deep into those signals in your communication with others and how to connect in a deeper way. Let's, let's take it a step further around not changing our partner, but becoming curious about them so that we can explore together. When it comes to becoming curious about the partner, that is really the key. And like this field in, in, in couples therapy. So we're not just throwing some self help your way. Like this is digging deep into the psychology, uh, toolbox and, and research. And, and the gold standard that you really find there is called integrative behavior couple therapy. And this is really like cutting edge in, in that regard. And, um, what what this um, IBCT in short talks about are really three pillars, and and the first one and maybe the most counterintuitive pillar is you need to understand and accept that there are differences between the partners that you and your partner are not uh, on the same level of introversion extroversion adventure spontaneity, and and here is the kicker you probably got together because you were different, because that was so, so exciting. So, wow, what a rebel, you know, what's with the spontaneity? Wow. I'm amazed how good of a planner he or she is. Right. And then three months later, it's like, what's with all the spontaneity? Like, this is really difficult for me to deal with. Right. Because now it's habituated. Now it's normal. Now it's the, it's like, what's with all the spontaneity all the time. So we can, we can dig into, um, like specific techniques in just a bit, but, uh, to, to lay like the groundwork with the principles. So you need to understand and accept that your partner is different and let go of the idea that first you need to change him or her. And then it's going to be good because that is not going to work because your partner will have exactly the same plan. And that's why you're fighting <laughs> all the time. The second is you need to improve how you interact with each other that strongly ties into this. And, and there are a lot of like conversation skills and conflict management and so on that we talk a lot about on this show. So we might not have to go too deep into this at this point. There are plenty of episodes out there that, that teach you this. And the third is to really highlight the, the positive that's happening in that relationship. Because we're so, we have this negativity bias of nine to one in, in a normal mind, it's nine to one. And, um, and that's a problem. That's a problem, right? If you, if you spot like all the, if you only ever notice the, or comment on, on the stuff that goes wrong, you have a bit of a problem. So being able to really shine that light of attention to, Hey, we did really good there. Like that dinner we cooked together, you know, teamwork. And that is really the ability to create, to purposefully create that enjoyment together and that, that quality time together. I know that was a, a tough one for me 
the mindset that I had in the past was, well, I'm still here. I'm in this relationship. I'm, I'm committed. Is that not enough for you to see that I, I enjoyed the positives? But let me talk about the negatives. And it's so important. We've talked about this on previous episodes around giving feedback to others. It's so important that we highlight those positives and celebrate those positives openly, not just think about them, not just share a smile and, and make it seem so, but through touch, through actual words of appreciation and allowing each other to be grateful for all of those positives that are going on in the relationship. We know the negatives are on the horizon or they're maybe hitting you in your relationship right now. And you may be facing some difficulties inside of that relationship, but really sitting there and thinking about, well, what are all those positives? And those positives should be something that are discussed frequently in your relationship, as Michael said, to strengthen it. And it's so interesting because we, we've heard the, the old adage, opposites attract. And it's so exciting when, when you see mm. someone who, who attacks problems in a different manner or plans in a different manner or has different pursuits that can open a whole new world of possibilities. But those opposites also lead us in, in points of stress and points of conflict to be highlighted and be held onto as a negative. And that's why I, I think it is so important, again, to, to face the fact that the positives and those positive emotions will wax and wane, but the more that we can discuss them, the more that we can share them and be open about them, the more that we can see them in each other. Yeah, and, and I think it's very important to understand that because your partner is different doesn't mean they're uh, worse, their approach is worse. They, every one of us, uh, we develop our own learning history, depending on the family we grew up in, the siblings we had, the friends that we had. And we develop over years a certain way of approaching problems. And, and some people um, might grow up in a family where problems are solved by shouting really loudly. And if you are the one who shouts the loudest and throws the most plates around, you know, you win the argument. Then another one might have grow up in a family where, you know, everyone just sulks and goes in their room and slams the door. Now you bring, you know, the offspring from those two families together and one starts shouting and the other is like, what's with all the shouting, right? That's a problem. And what you want to look at here is, is called the deep framework. So those are four factors where, where differences are going to really be important and you look, need to look out for them. So D stands for the differences that the partners have. They're really normal. Like one is more introverted. The other is a little bit more extroverted. One is, you know, more conscientious. The other is a little bit more chaotic. Neither one is good or bad, but it's the difference in and of itself that, that creates that problem. And sitting together and, and talking about like, where does this come from? Like, how come that I, I notice that whenever we fight, like you retreat, where is that coming from? And then you hear that story maybe that, you know, there, maybe there was like really violent shouting happening and that person learned to retreat. And suddenly instead of seeing it as a flaw, it's like, oh, wow, now I get it, right? Now I'm willing to, now that I understand where this is coming from, I'm willing to adapt a little bit and help my partner vocalize whatever's coming up. I know for myself, and in, in, in my relationship currently with Amy, that in those situations, that learned behavior of retreating and getting quiet when there's a problem or a frustration being expressed by my partner and, and maybe not even fully wanting to deal with it. Well, her one asking me, you know, I've recognized this in you. Where, where does this come from? And two, being honest with me about how that makes her feel when I do that has allowed me to work through that pattern in myself, right? So it's one thing to point out the, the flaw in someone else. And it's very easy to be like, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. But if, if we want to change and we want to grow together, it's also important to point out how it makes you feel when someone is behaving that way. And we've talked about this in, in Boundaries episodes as well. And when you really care about someone and you realize that, wow, these behavior patterns that I have well, I didn't even realize I had them. And they're having a negative impact on the person that I really care about and love and want to be with. Well, it gives you a stronger impetus to actually change to work to improve yourself. And we've been able to frankly do that with one another and share how her behaviors make me feel. And I think that's really important as we talk about communication throughout this episode 
And I know we've talked a lot in the past about vulnerability and the levels of vulnerability. Well, these are the deeper vulnerabilities that many of us don't show with just friends or acquaintances or casual relationships, but these do come up in committed romantic relationships because we're spending so much time together. We're immersed in each other's lives. And I think for me, hearing that, hearing her being frank and honest and vulnerable enough with me around how those behaviors impact her emotionally was really key to me realizing, okay, I, I want to become a better partner and, and here's some ways that I can change and improve. Realizing that you're accepted for the way that you behave and gives you that freedom to actually maybe even change, maybe be a little bit louder, maybe be a little bit more vulnerable, maybe be a little bit more assertive, right? Because now you know that there's this understanding and the space to, to do this. The E, so deep framework, the, the first E are um, emotional sensitivities. So some people might need that routine, right? Others might be spontaneous. I am a total control freak when it comes to traveling and former girlfriends always were like, oh, we just go, you know, to the airport and we'll just go somewhere. And, and that makes me freak out because I need to have like everything. I need to know like what I'm having for breakfast on day number five. Like I need to know that stuff. Right. And, and both are okay. We both have our reasons. Maybe uh, past girlfriends traveled with parents or family and they were always told like, you know, we go to Italy, we go to uh, California and so on. And, and for me, like traveling with a, with a wheelchair is like, I need to have everything planned because only then can I relax when I realize my room is not on the third floor and I have no idea of how I get in there. Right. So both, again, make sense, but you need to understand where they are coming from so you can develop that empathy. And that routine versus spontaneity, it's so key when we can share, hey, you know, this is something that I really value, but I'm, I'm open and willing to try something that you really value while we're on vacation or while we're taking some time away. And it's a balance there, right? It's being open to that new experience and understanding how valuable that spontaneity is to your partner. Yeah, Exactly. We have another E. We have another E in the deep framework, and that's external stress, because that's just going to come, right? It's not, there's some stress between the partners, but there's also like all the additional stuff that's happening out there, especially, you know, in 2021, or as how I like to call it, like 2020 plus with the pandemic, with homeschooling, right? There's a lot of external stress that, that also comes in there. That external stress it's important that we're all aware of it and we understand and give each other an opportunity with dealing with that stress a little bit more space. I think many of us are very tied and close to our own stress and those external stresses and how they impact us. And it can be difficult for us to see it in someone else if they handle that stress differently. So for me, that stress shuts me down. For Amy, that stress needs to be handled immediately and typically through exercise. So for me, it's like, you know what? I just want to unplug. I just want to throw on the PS5, play a little FIFA, just completely get my mind unplugged from this. And for Amy, it's, I just want to run as fast as I can on the treadmill. Both are okay. And if there is that external stress, calling it out, hey, this sounds really stressful. What, what is it that you need to help work through the stress? Or how do you feel is the best way for you to process this and encourage that in your partner. And I know the other thing is, you know, I'm very solution oriented. I, I like knowing like, okay, there's a stress and here are the three steps to, to manage the stress. And for Amy, it's like, well, I just want to feel heard. I want to process the emotions. I don't need solutions. And solutions right now actually work against me dealing with that stress appropriately. And we didn't just magically understand that about each other. But we started to recognize patterns in how each other deal with the stress and said, hey, you know, is there a better way for me to show up for you right now? And asking those questions instead of just defaulting to the way that you handle stress, because as we've been talking about, these differences are always present in the way that we've been raised and wired through nature. AJ, was that the question you used? How can I show up to help you better? Yeah. Everyone listening, like, please take note, right? This is such a powerful question to ask. I think it's important to remember that the only way that we have to make sense of the world is through our senses, which always puts us in the middle of everything. So it's easy 
as a default to look at things well through your own lens. And it's not to say that you are self-centered at fault. You have to condition and work to understand other points of view and other lenses because without that knowledge, you're doomed to view the world from your own seat. And David Foster Wallace had a commencement speech that's really famous. It's called Water. And there's many different points that he's trying to make to the young generation who are who are about to go off on their own into the world to make a name for themselves. And he talks about the hardship of it, and he talks about being young, but also he talks about empathy and its importance to understanding how the world works. And that as a young person, that you're going to need to establish some empathy if you're going to be able to flourish because you're going to be stuck in your own box. And it's not only that what your significant other is going through when it comes to external forces that they're stressed out about, as well as the the relational uh, experiences, but others as well. Because if you can have an understanding that everyone's lives are so different than yours, then you're going to be open to hearing what's going on. And not only open, you're going to be curious to want to know what is going on with others. And that curiosity is what's going to open the door, which is going to prompt you to begin asking the questions so you can get that information. The second E is honestly, I think the most important. And many of our members in our X Factor Accelerator come to us after a romantic failure or dissolving of a romantic relationship, whether it's divorce or just a committed relationship. And many of them will say it's because of the external stress. We couldn't manage all of the external stress. So if you're in a happy, comfortable relationship right now and you're, you're checking these boxes, you're like, guys, this is great. Paying attention to these external stressors that are completely out of your control and your partner's control and how you can better show up in those moments or if they're happening to you, how you can better deal with them and the way you deal with them, how it impacts your partner, being aware of that. Many of us don't get that awareness until the divorce papers are in front of us. And all of a sudden, like, well, wow, I had no idea with all this stress, right? I love coming home from work and, and just bitching about my boss and moaning about my coworker and going on and on about how tough life is and not realizing the toll that's taking on our relationship and how that's making your partner feel and how maybe your partner needs to see you taking some agency in that stress. These are really important conversations and what we go deep into an X factor around, hey, we have to be open and honest about ourselves to reach our full potential. It's not just about, well, you know, how can I manage the other person and what's going on in their life? I'm getting goosebumps. You, you're telling that story because it brought to mind someone who went through core confidence and, and told me later on, he said, I now know why my marriage failed. I now know why I got divorced because no one knows this stuff. Like, you know, I wish we could teach something like that in school, even though every third grade is like, wow, you're telling me that. But like, this is, this is important stuff to know, especially now where so many external stresses come up. And then instead of it's us versus the stress, it's my stress versus your stress. And that's not helping. That's, that's not helping. So the P in deep framework, um, AJ, you already hinted at this. These are patterns of communication. So how do you show up when something goes wrong? How do you show up if you want something? And, and be curious on how you do it. And then also be curious about how your partner does it. Like if, if there's stress, do you retreat? Do you attack? Do you blow up? Do you jump into uh, uh, your PlayStation 5? Do you jump into the gym? Do you run away and distract yourself? Like what, what is that pattern? Because only when you recognize like what's really happening then, then you can work with that and then you can you communicate it. But if you're not aware of it to begin with, well, good luck trying to work around it. And that's the fun part about it. A Amy knows when I put on the headset and I, I log in to play some PlayStation, maybe in the middle of a workday for a quick game, oh, it's AJ decompressing. Or if Amy goes outside to hit the treadmill in the carport, it's, oh, 
okay, Amy is, is burning off some steam. And when you recognize that in your partner, you also then have an opportunity to, to better show up for them, right? So that's what we're getting to. We're getting a deeper understanding of ourselves, but also a deeper understanding of the people we care about and love. I think it's important to always set up like, this is why we're in this mess, right? This is not, this is not how you get out of it, but here's, here's how you got in. So four skills you need to learn in order to keep the romance alive. First one goes right back to those patterns of behavior and watching out for how you approach and how you retreat. How do you not, how, do, how does your partner and how would you like them to, but how do you react when the shit hits the fan? Because AJ, you just said you, you're then in, in FIFA for, I don't know why you would ever go into, but you know, it's your, it's your PS5. You can do what you want. Like, you know that, you know, AJ is stressed out, unwind, go to the PS5 and unplug. But I think that many people listening to that, they've never thought about, like they've never connected the dots. Like, this is what I'm doing when, when this happens. And you need to be aware of that because at one point you need to be able to communicate that with your partner and say, Hey, look, I've noticed that whenever I'm stressed out, I do this. So I just want you to know the reason I'm meditating for half an hour is not because, you know, I don't want to talk to you. It's my way of unwinding and recentering. Well, I want to encourage all of our listeners, if they want to retreat with me on PS5, they could find me, AJ Harbinger, <laughs> add me as a friend and challenge me in FIFA. We could retreat together. Oh, you're going to get your ass kicked in FIFA. That's well-deserved now. <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> that point is is so valid, though, because... It's given me new perspective around how not only do I process stress in, in my retreat pattern, but also has allowed me to see that there are other ways to, to handle it that may also be helpful, right? So that, that was wired into me from the way I was raised with my dad and, and watching his patterns, but through experience and being in relationships and, and looking at these patterns in others. And I know Johnny started this conversation with you know, how we got excited about all of this is just understanding human interaction and behavior and patterns. Like once you start to recognize this pattern in yourself and you start to date a few different people and get experiences with their patterns, you start to recognize like, okay, now I understand why this person is behaving in that way. And we then don't have to make it about ourselves, right? I don't have to take Amy going to run on the treadmill is like, oh, she must be mad at AJ. Oh, what did I do wrong? Like, And all that mental gymnastics that we do sometimes when we see these behaviors in others, when we have a deeper level of understanding about ourselves and about our partner, well, we tend not to ascribe these issues to ourselves and it, it makes for a much more peaceful relationship. Mentally, I'm still in this place where you get your ass kicked in FIFA. So that's why I'm smiling <laughs> the entire time. Anyway, <laughs> back. So number two, and this is where this is where it gets really simple to implement. You need to have time in your calendar where you sit together and you talk about stuff. Because most people will come into a situation where there's external stress or internal stress and then there is this clash and then there's the explosion or the retreat. And that is never helpful because you're you're acting in the heat of the moment with when all the emotions are boiling up. And you need to know that maybe every Wednesday evening, there's this one hour where you sit together with music in the background and a cup of tea. And you just go like, hey, here are a couple of things that went really well. And here are a couple of things I think we can, we need to talk about and, and figure out. And having that marked in your calendar gives you the accountability. And you know, well, you know, this is going to happen. I might just as well say something or, you know, listen. And it also gives you the time to mentally prepare because, you know, us introverts, very, very logical thinking, very, very much like step-by-step -step lists and bullet lists and everything. Like this is the time that we need in order to make a good argument. So that hour needs to be blocked out and it doesn't have to be a confrontation hour. This is, Hey, we're going to drink some tea together, eat our favorite chocolate and just discuss how the week went for us. With the lockdown and, and being in a situation, spending a ton of time indoors together, dealing with these external stresses with work from home and everything else, the, a major change that Amy and I did in our relationship was just go on hikes together here in Los Angeles. And I found that hiking, something about walking side by side and not being 
directly facing one another. And I shared this in an X Factor session and, and one of our clients also started implementing this in his life, that sharing communication while walking and being side by side and even talking about issues within our relationship or frustrations we have with one another, it really has lowered the stress level, the emotional response level, and allowed us to communicate on a lot of deep topics that you know we hadn't even communicated. This is year seven of our relationship. And we've now carved out time every single weekend for that. We wake up in the morning and we go on hikes in the morning every single Saturday and Sunday. And I know I talked in the past about this on the show, having a standing date night where we know that we're committed to time together to be open, to communicate, to listen to one another. Because let's be honest, if we rail on social media, we talk about technology, we all know what happens when we get home from work or we get home from uh, exercise or whatever else is going on, or maybe we're just home from work already and we pick up our device and we're half listening and we're half on social media and we're half checking our email and we're half. And for us, the ground rule has been, you know, hiking, there's no phone out at sushi date nights on Friday, there's no phone out. And that's created the space to have this communication in a more frank way and just the opportunity to be more present with one another. It's an on-demand culture. And you can't have on-demand relationships because you're not dealing with a computer. You are dealing with a human being who has emotions that they have to contend with in order to communicate. When you're dealing with asynchronous communication or coding or computer language, it is on demand. You program something in, it does something, it spits out whatever information or uh, acts in a certain manner. However, uh, with human beings, we don't have that. I don't, I wouldn't even want to call it a luxury because I, because it's, it's interfering with our relationships. An easy example of this is my dad and being younger, my dad would come into my room and he would say, Oh, I heard something happened at school today or something happened with so-and-so today. Would you like to talk about it? And any teenager being put in that position is going to say, no, I wouldn't want to talk about it. And so that is an example of on-demand communication. Listen, I just got off work. I heard about this. I need you to talk about it. Well, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it because I'm a teenager and I don't talk to my dad about things and I'll handle it myself. However, if my dad said, Hey, listen, I'm working on something. I got to go to radio shack. I need you to go along with me for the ride. Fine. I'll, I'll go. So now we're in this, in the van and we're heading to the mall and there's this quiet time. And that space has put me in a position then after about 15 minutes, guess what? I'm spilling my guts about everything that happened that week to my dad. Why? Because there's a natural innate need to connect with my father, but I certainly don't want to do it on his dime, on his watch, when he's ready. It's got to be when I'm ready. Why? Well, one, I'm a teenager, I'm being difficult. But the other is, there's a lot of emotions going on with a teenager that they have to work through in order to be able to communicate any sort of feeling just to be understood. And that's not to say that that's not happening as we get older. It's just easier to maintain, but we still have to work through those emotions and we just can't come home from work and ask our spouse or our significant other to tell me what's going on because they might not have their thoughts collected or they might not be in an emotional space to be able to open up. And if you force them to, they're not going to be able to fully emote and articulate themselves to a place where they feel that they've been fully understood. So by creating the space, getting rid of the phone, putting on some enhancement for the, the, the situation that you're setting up to relax everybody. Well, guess what? After about 15 minutes, everyone starts dumping their souls out onto the table because they wanted to connect the whole time. But you just can't hit a button and say, hey, I got 10 minutes, spill it. It's not going to work. And if we continue to think that we can bring on-demand culture into our relationships, 
we're going to find that we have an on-demand divorce settlement paper in front of us. Uh, I'm so glad you picked up on that, Johnny, because that was a question that was going through my mind as, as AJ was, was talking. There might be listeners right now that are thinking, yeah, okay, so I'm ready, but my partner is never going to like, go through with that. Like he or she will not sit down and do this. Now I'm willing and eager to do this, but he or she might not. And I'm, I'm curious what, what you guys think the solution here would be. Um, what I've done in the past is I was the one leading and not leading by saying, ha, I know exactly where you screwed up, but by saying, Hey, first and foremost, like this thing you did, I really appreciated it. And by the way, this one thing I did, I kind of screwed up and I'm sorry. Let me know how I can do this better in the future. So I'm starting by being an example, hopefully a positive one, if not through what I did, but at least through me sharing of like, I'm opening that door and I'm stepping through first, hoping that the other person follows. And, and even if the other person is still a little bit timid about following, they are still getting feedback because what I just told them is some positive reinforcement. Hey, I really liked how you cleaned up after me in the kitchen when I had to rush out for, for work. And I really appreciate that. And I don't take it for granted. You know, that's, that's already feedback. That's changing, reinforcing that behavior in the other person. But I'm curious to think, to, to hear what you guys are thinking about this. That exact strategy is what we use. And it's interesting because uh, upcoming guests we're excited to have on Dr. Therese Houston talked about. And this idea of the compliment sandwich in terms of giving feedback. Well, scientifically speaking at Harvard, they did research on this and starting with words of appreciation first, allow the negative feedback to be processed and actually retained. So if we just launch into you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong, we naturally go to the defensive. But we always love to hear what we're doing right. So you start with what that person is doing right and you are frank about it. Then what I love, Michael, is you actually take responsibility for something you did wrong. So then you make it acceptable to have done something wrong and own up to it and want to improve on it. And, and again, asking like, how, how could I be a better partner? How could I show up more in this situation? I realized that when you were stressed and you raised your voice, I shut down and I withdrew. And with I, when I withdrew, that probably caused you to be more frustrated with me. And I take ownership of that now. It's a behavior pattern in myself that I've recognized I'm still trying to work on. Thank you so much for being patient with me. The other thing I would say, and it's really important, hey, there are times when your partner's just not ready for feedback. And also asking, like, can I give you some feedback on this? Would you like to hear my perspective on it, right? That at least gives them an opportunity to say, not now, AJ. Like, I'm struggling right now, and I can't deal with you adding on another layer of all the things I'm doing wrong at home. That's truly okay as well. So I love that idea and that, that back and forth and that ability to communicate openly and create the space, as Johnny was saying, to do so. The third one, we've talked a little bit about, we've danced around, but I think it's really, really, really important to talk about how these things made you feel instead of blaming the other person for their behaviors, faults, inadequacies, frustrations. If all we do is point blame in a relationship and all we're doing is throwing what the other partner needs to work on and we're never really bringing it back to how it impacted us and how it impacted us emotionally, well, there's really no energy there or interest or reason for the other person to change. They just feel completely defensive and hurt and you don't really present another option or another pathway of like, in those situations, I would actually appreciate if you just raise your voice too, AJ, let it out, yell back. That would allow me to know that you're listening, that you even care. Because when you shut down and you withdraw, I feel that you're not listening. And I was like, whoa, holy cow, that's eye-opening. I'm listening. I'm hearing everything. I don't know how to process it. But maybe the other person needs you to get emotional too, to see that response, to show that you care. This is at the basis of every misunderstanding out there when people talk that we assume how we feel was the other person's intention. So what AJ just said made me angry. Therefore, it was AJ's intention to make me angry. This is what's going on like subconsciously for all of us all the time. And it's wrong because if you're trying to guess what the other person's intention was, 
most likely you're freaking wrong. And so instead of saying, Hey, AJ, you know that you, you made me angry and it's your fault. Like this is already a, an argument that does not work. It doesn't work. But if I told you, Hey, AJ, that thing you did, it kind of made me, you know, it made me a little bit angry. Now you don't, AJ doesn't get to say, no, that's not true because it is like AJ doesn't get to tell me how I feel. Right. You could say, well, that was not my intention. I didn't mean to do that. But you can't say, no, Michael, that's not true. You don't feel angry. Like, like, screw you. Like, you can't. You can't. And this makes this so vulnerable and powerful because it breaks that loop. It breaks that loop off. It was your intention all along. Now, we are huge fans of listening. In fact, we did an entire implementation session around this exact thing in our X Factor Accelerator as part of our monthly implementation sessions. And in this conversation workshop, we dug deep into listening. And many of us say, oh, I, I'm such a great listener. In fact, I can multitask while listening. I can be scrolling on Instagram and checking my email and I'm getting everything. So if that's you, fast forward. No, wait, don't fast forward through this part. You probably still need to listen. So let's walk through these levels of listening so we can all improve our listening skill, Michael. Oh, sorry, sorry. what did you say? I, I wasn't really listening. I was, I was swiping on Tinder. Uh, no, swipe of course not. Oh, of course. <laughs> okay, so, so here, are, here are your levels. In, a, in the workshop that we did, I actually had this on a slide where on one end there was like Darth Vader and the other there was Yoda. So let's start at the Darth Vader end, at the lowest level, the lowest quality of listening. And this is you listen to reject so I smile at you and I look at you and I nod my head. And when you're done talking, I say, no, you're wrong. This is why. And yeah, I'm still listening, but the intent is kind of, you know, on the dark side of the force. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, it was when, when Johnny was reenacting his arms crossed with his dad moment, Yeah, you know, that, that listening to reject. I, I don't care about what you have to say. I'm here, but you could say it and I, I'm rejecting it immediately. We default to that when we're in tense pressure-filled, stressful situations. And sometimes that's with our partner too. But if we're listening to reject, well, that's not a healthy way to communicate. Well, let's upgrade this just a little bit. And now you're listening to give information. This is when people go like, when, when they like vocalize or have their hand like up a little bit. It's like, this is like, okay, just, just stop. Just stop because I have something to say, right? And we've all been in conversations where the other person just waits for you to make a nanosecond of a pause so they can jump in and interrupt you and give you that better information they have, right? That's, uh, that's pseudo listening. That's not making a connection. Next is and this is, this is where we get towards the middle ground already. So now you're listening to receive information. So I ask AJ, Hey, what do you, you know, like most about playing FIFA and, and getting your ass kicked by all the future listeners that we have on the show? And now I shut up because I'm really curious about the answer that, that I give from, from AJ. And, and given that you guys didn't have time yet to kick his ass on, on FIFA, we have to wait with that a little bit, but, but that is the idea. I, I listen because I seriously want to hear the information that is going to come out of your mouth, but it's still, it's very much on, it's just one level removed from what's next. And that's you listen to understand the other person's content and content means the pure data, the pure data that, that comes out of someone's mouth. And for example, when I tell you, I really like tomato sandwiches. Now, the pure content is Michael likes tomato sandwiches, right? But if you actually, is there such a thing as a tomato sandwich? I just made that up. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is an artifact of, of the improv, improv workshop we did. But now you know that if you listen to the content, well, Michael likes tomato sandwiches, whatever that might be. And, but apparently if you listen a little bit further, which is the next step, listen to understand the other person's emotion. Now you're like, okay, I think he doesn't like tomato sandwiches. I think that was, I think it was being, you know, a little bit negative about that. So, and, and when you start to listen to understand the other person's emotion, now you're in the realm of the emotional bits we were like, touching upon a little bit earlier. And this is, this is almost the gold standard. Take it to the absolute Jedi level and you're listen to understand the other person. And this is, this is important enough to repeat. Listen to understand the other person. 
with all that's going on and all that's coming into what they're saying. I like equating this because that improv tomato sandwich example is perfect for this because when we, we start to listen to really understand the other person, we're, we're not just thinking about, oh, well, I don't like tomato sandwiches. We're starting to realize, okay, Michael is, is vegan and he's making conscious choices around his food. And I want to get to know, well, what are Michael's core values around being vegan? Is it environmentally based? Is it health based? You know, that is a deeper level of understanding than just saying, okay, next time I have Michael over, I got to have tomatoes in the refrigerator. But many of us stop at those early levels. We just exchange data and we're on to the next thing. We're back to our phones. But the people who are really good at building deep, long-lasting relationships, they search for that deeper meaning, those core values, those beliefs, those morals that the other person is sharing through all of this data that's being exchanged. That's how we show up for someone. And outside of a relationship, like listening to the other person, you practice that skill, you'll probably not run out of things to say. Probably not, because just me saying, I, and by the way, note, please note the, the, the satiric way I said this, right? Don't send me tomatoes and, and sandwich slices. Um, I really like tomato sandwiches. And now we become curious about the entire thing. Like there are so many th well, favorite tomatoes. Why? Where, when did you first eat this? What, what, what was the best tomatoes? We have a really weird example that we picked here. Um, I should have thought, thought this through a little bit more, but you uh, dig into that and really become curious about that. And, and something that we just this weekend, we discussed in core confidence that anxiety and curiosity, they can't really coexist. It's a zero sum game. You can be really anxious about how is that person going to respond if I say this and that. That's anxiety. Or you could be curious and say, I wonder how that person is going to react when I approach them and I say, hey, you like ham or something? Like, I'm just going to be curious about that. And you'll see that anxiety is displaced by, by that curiosity. And, and bringing that into a conversation with your partner where it's not, oh, I just hope I don't say anything wrong. But it's this, I'm curious to find out what I did wrong and how I can do this better the next time. And this curiosity comes in and it doesn't make room for anxiety in there anymore. In a world where everyone is asking for your attention, and not only are they asking for your attention, they can make money off of your attention. Well, then your focus becomes a superpower because it's the one thing that everybody wants from you. And so if you are able to direct it to where you need it to go and where you want to excel, well, then that's, that is, that's the superpower, right? So think about how anxiety plays with curiosity. Where does anxiety force your attention? Inside. Inside. Where does curiosity force your attention? outside and present and whatever, whatever it is that you're curious about. So if you want to develop this asset that you have, that everybody is willing to put all of their resources in to get, well, don't you think that you should see it in such high regard? And then if you need to be able to look at it and respect it with such high regard, then it is the one thing that if used properly will get you whatever it is that you're looking for. And to go back to a point that you made about people who feel that they're not very good with conversation, well, it's because their attention, their focus is in the wrong place. And as you said, if you want to get good at conversation, you want to get good at small talk, you want to get good at holding court, well, you have to get good at listening because all the answers, all the stories, all the emotions that you need to create, captivate, and connect are in the other person. And notice how we've just, I don't know if our listeners picked up on that, but we've just gone full circle. We started by saying, usually we try to change the other person and we've arrived at be curious about what's going on both inside of you and the other person. And suddenly those differences are, well, there's still a little bit of a problem, but they're not the problem. 
They're just something you have to work with. And the moment you understand them, that's when it's no longer you versus me, but it's us versus the external stress. And then comes, there comes the tag team and everyone has their strengths and their spontaneity or their planning and their introversion, extroversion. All of that comes together through curiosity. Johnny, I know 2020 was challenging for many of us in romantic relationships. We've probably spent more time with our partner than ever before and realized some behavior patterns that we ourselves need to improve. And today's episode was all about busting that myth that your relationship has to be perfect for it to be successful. And I love the four strategies to really deepen those relationships. For me, this show is always about relationships, whether it is your loved one, your friends, your coworkers, and everything that we discussed today, I find myself using in my everyday life as well. So don't just think that these things, you need to be in a serious relationship in order to implement these things to get the results in your life that you want. This week's shout out goes to Kit in our core confidence program. Wow, I'm so excited to see your mindset shift and confidence grow in the group. Your lively banner kicks off each group with fun and energy, keep up the great work. What is Core Confidence, Johnny? It's a six-week group coaching program for men and women to help you grow your inner confidence to become unstoppable. This course is set up to help you learn about your cognitive processes under different environments, including difficult social pressures. The skills you'll learn in this class will stick with you for the rest of your life, and the results are tremendous in just six weeks. If you want to get into our February classes kicking off, head on over to theartofcharm.com slash core. That's theartofcharm.com slash core. That's right. Michael leads these classes and he can't wait to join you in February. Also, could you do us and the entire Art of Charm team a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate this show. It means the world to us, and it helps us get incredible guests that we share with you in our interviews each and every week. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Until next week, I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Go out there and rock it. <laughs>